Lapino, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace Chapel. I would just like to read for you this morning the scripture that Josh will be preaching from, from the Gospel of Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I'd like to pray for Josh before the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come today and to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of having relationship with you. We thank you that you have given us your words that we can know you. Father, I pray for Josh as he shares with us. I pray that you will be able to communicate through him. Help him to communicate the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for all of us who are listening. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our hearts. Help the truth to come into us, Lord. Help us to embody that. Help us to live it out, Father. Help us to take it from here. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this service. and We pray. We pray, Lord, that we will all hear from you this morning. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, good morning. Glad you're all here. Uh, what a great service. Uh, powerful worship. I just really enjoyed worship this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. This is our last Sunday for the Good Good Father series, uh, and it's been an awesome one. I've really enjoyed digging into the Beatitudes and learning from Jesus' words. Uh, I would recommend that you go back to our website and listen to the messages, all of them, if you haven't. And better yet, I, I highly recommend that you use your Bible... <laughs> Or, or on your phone, and you, um, and, you, and you read through the text. You let it soak into your heart. You wonder. You ask questions. You dig deeper into what the text means for you and how it impacts your life. That's the goal. And if I haven't said that before, I'm sorry. The goal for my messages is always to drive you back to Scripture, for you to go, wait a minute, he said that one thing. I want to see what I think to dig in and for you to learn on your own. Um, so to catch you up to speed, this series, The Good, Good Father, is based on Jesus' couple of statements in his Sermon on the Mount. So this is one of Jesus' first public sermons. He sits down with his disciples in the crowds, and he shares what many uh, refer to as the B-attitudes. And that's just a lot of blessed statements that he says there. Uh, and it's a, a great uh, series, and there's a lot of depth here. By the way... Blessed in the Greek means blessed. Yeah, it does mean that. I know it's crazy. But it also means happy. 
which is an interesting perspective to take. Now, I don't want to go too far with that, but just listen to this for a second. Jesus saying, happy are you who are poor in spirit. Happy are you that mourn. Happy are you that are meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It has a little bit of a different ring to it. And I think it's not as simple as just being happy. I don't think that's all of what Jesus says. But it's an interesting perspective to take on it. So um, if you didn't catch uh, uh, the the specific passage that we're going to be looking at, uh, that Chris read earlier, uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 10 through 12 of chapter 5. And so I'd like to put those on the screen behind me, and I'll read through those specific verses. Jesus says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And just like so many of Jesus' phrases, this one is hard to swallow. (laughs) You see, Jesus does this thing. A lot of people don't, maybe wouldn't put it this way, but I will. Jesus plays to his audiences. He speaks to the people that are listening, and he uses words that create curiosity, that even promote a little confusion. He, He shares parables that are hard to understand, and he shares them with the intention of people going, wait a minute. I need to know more about that. What what do you mean by that? And so many times his disciples would come back afterwards and they would go, wait, what? But they would say it in a way like this. "Uh, We know uh, we understand and we know they understand, but could you repeat that for us again just to be sure? They were a little sheepish about not understanding sometimes. This word, this phrase, these verses are hard to swallow. We are blessed and happy when we are persecuted? How does that work? It's not what I expected the first time I read it or even the first dozen times. When you sacrifice for something or, or someone, it can often be classified as good. And we get that. It's good. Yeah, it's good, Jesus. But, but can you go as far to say that we are blessed when people curse us? How does that work? I want to see the definition of that blessing when we are persecuted because of Jesus. Isn't that like saying be happy when people and often people that you really care about curse you? I want to see how this works. This is a hard teaching, but there's spoiler alert ahead. Jesus' teachings are hard. And I would suggest that if you're not interested in hard teachings that convict our hearts, that motivate us to change our lives, then you just steer clear of the Gospels. Just don't even go there, right? Read, you know, you can read a lot of the Old Testament. You can even read some of the epistles. Uh, That's great. But the Gospels are full of Jesus' words that convict us deep, deep inside. It's a hard teaching. Now, I don't know if you caught it or not, but did you catch the word reward in these verses? Now, I have like this little warning flag that pops up in the back of my mind anytime I hear the word reward, because what that means to me is there's like self-motivation. It's like works or merit-based structure. So I go, whoa, Jesus, are you saying there is a merit-based structure set up in the kingdom of God? So what I do actually equates to something. So I can work really hard and create something I've done on my own, and somehow that is a reward. How do rewards work? How do they work in heaven? Are they different than the rewards here on earth? And the truth is, I'm a pretty transparent guy. 
You guys know this by now. I don't really know. I don't know how rewards work. I will confess to you. Rewards are a bit of a mystery, and if you do any reading on them, a lot of people have opinions, but no one's really confident. It's a difficult thing. To some degree, our sin nature, I think, prevents us from even understanding, at least deeply, how rewards work in heaven and what Jesus is talking about. However, one reward I know and we can understand, we can get our minds around, that can be applied to this statement is this. The reward is found in the fact that our Father has a desire to see us grow in maturity. That's a pretty big reward. Me and my wife deal with children regularly whose parents do not care for their children. To have a father that says, I want you to grow I want you to mature. I care about the journey you're on, and I have a destination that I want you to reach. Wow. I will take that reward. I will take it all the way to the bank. We talk a lot about growth and transformation here at Grace Chapel. In fact, our vision statement is lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's this hope and desire that we get to see this in action that we get to see people's lives go from point A to point B to point C, and that's because of Jesus' gospel. We want to see that growth and that maturity. So we talk a lot about it. Maturing in our faith and growing as a Christian is really important to me, and it's really important to all of you. And the author of Hebrews, in, in, the, in the Hebrew letter found in the New Testament, says it this way in Hebrews eleven six, 6. And without faith... It is impossible to please God. Whoa. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So just reading that little line, uh, apparently faith is pretty important. (laughs) Because it's impossible to please our Heavenly Father without it. I would say we better start doubling down on how to develop our faith, how to grow that faith. So God rewards those who please him, and we know we can't please him without faith. Fair enough. I guess faith is kind of a big deal. But, but here's the best part. Okay, the good father wants us to grow. So it's not like God is standing back and going, you know what, you guys better figure it out if you want to make me happy. See, that's not the nature of our father. That's not the nature that Jesus describes to us as who God is. You see, God is a good, good father. He's kind. He's gentle. He's patient. And if you spend a few minutes in this life, we need a patient father. It's challenging out there. See, God wants us to trust him more and more. He wants us to mature in our faith. And the more we trust him, the more we have faith in him, the more he matures us. It's like this cyclical process. And the first statement in your bulletin is this. The good, good father grows his children from infancy to maturity. He does. He grows us. You see, the thing is, you probably figured this out by now, maturity doesn't happen overnight, right? It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, the more mature you get, usually the more immature you realize that you actually are, right? Like the better you know God, the, real, the more you realize, wow, I really don't know him as much as I thought I did. <laughs> I'm really mature, 
It's not very mature to say that unless you realize you're immature. You get it? It's, it's kind of this weird um, double negative kind of situation. If you're wondering, if you've made the maturity cut, have you ever wondered that? Like you read through the scripture, you go, okay, it's a, it's a goal to be mature. I wonder if I'm mature. And you think about your life, you think about the decisions, and generally I think about all the good decisions I've made, you know, to try to boost my chances of maturity. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I've made the cut. Paul actually addresses this. Listen to what Paul the Apostle wrote on the subject to the, the Philippian church. He says this, not that I have already obtained all of this. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so that means that I probably haven't made the cut either. But he goes on, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's the same reason. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote more New Testament than anybody else, the, God, the man that they estimate that he was visited by Jesus in visions over a thousand times in his life. If there's a definition of maturity, I feel like we could put it on him. No. He says, I haven't reached it. I'm straining for it, but I haven't acquired it yet. The guy who risked everything that was beaten, that was shipwrecked, that, had, that, that was tried and, and, and eventually was assassinated, the legend tells us, historians think. He was assassinated because of his faith. That guy hasn't reached it. It's fascinating that he didn't consider himself having made the maturity cut, at least not yet. There's something else that's interesting. And since we're on the last beatitude, let's take a look at all the beatitudes. There's a bit of a progression. One might even say a maturity progression. Listen to this. Spiritual bankruptcy was, was week one. Where we come from, what we started with, absolutely nothing. We have no spiritual value in and of ourselves outside of Jesus. Week two, those that mourn, guess what Jesus does? He comforts. He comforts us. You see the good father in that action? Week three, meekness. Learning the lesson of intentionally sacrificing for others. And that's a training ground for what's to come for us. There's a training, there's a maturing, a, a growing process. Week four, thirsting for Jesus' righteousness. You can't get that out of the gate. It takes time to develop this, this desire for the, for the righteousness that is only Jesus's. Week five, being merciful. All right, we finally got to something we can do, right? Being merciful. Signs of a growing, mature faith. Purity, the desire to have Jesus' purity inside us. That was, that was week six. That maturity is starting to grow, just starting to bud it's like adolescence for maturity, right? Week eight, or I'm sorry, week seven, to be a peacemaker. To be the kind of person that says, this person is at odds with this person, and I'm going to be in the middle because I'm going to reflect Christ. I'm going to be a peacemaker. By the way, peacemakers generally get their heads taken off in history and figuratively. Week eight, here we are. Sacrifice for Jesus 
persecution. Wow. That is quite the progression of, of infancy to maturity. The growth process is filled with face-stretching, painful, and difficult seasons in our life. And if you listen, if you pay attention, Jesus is next to you going, I know, I know, but I'm doing something. I'm allowing this situation to do something in you. By the way, persecution isn't necessarily a mark of maturity because Paul could write the book on persecution, right? And he didn't consider himself to have obtained his goal yet. Paul didn't think he had arrived and he had faced death daily for the sake of Jesus. But here's the thing about growth and maturing. Sometimes we jump from stage to stage almost effortlessly, right? And, and, and I've had times like this in my life and the scripture just comes alive. And it's like you remember passages clear, you, you understand them, and, and it seems like everything is pointing to Jesus and it's just rich and wonderful and, and worship brings you to your knees and the scripture comes alive and, and it also just comes out of you. Like this love just comes out of you and you're learning things left and right and you're like, yes, I'm growing, I'm growing. And then that season ends. And suddenly, the thing that you hear is silence. And you go, where's God? He, just, just last week, he's giving me all these things, and, and now he's, he's, like he's gone. Did he take vacation? Where did he go? So sometimes we jump from stage to stage, and, and we grow with leaps and bounds. And sometimes we feel absolutely nothing. Just do a little research on Mother Teresa and the dark night of the soul that she faced for over 40 years. <laughs> Mother Teresa. Jen and I take a lot of kids in our home over the years, and, and I remember this one little boy, and um, he was at the stage where he was supposed to learn to crawl, right? He could roll over, he had the strength, and, and we put him on his belly, and he just would not have it. Not having it. Belly time was not fun time, okay, for anybody, all he wanted to do was to be picked up and held. And I went, who am I to argue <laughs> with a little child? Come here, buddy. And I would carry him everywhere I went. All he wanted was to snuggle into my neck and hold tight. And I was not going to force him to go away. I soaked him up and I held him as much as I could. And I did it for so long that he was now ready to start learning to walk, but he hadn't learned how to crawl. So I began forcing myself to, okay, you have to learn this. People are going to think there's something wrong here. Like, you have to learn this. And as soon as he figured out balance, he didn't crawl and he didn't even walk. He ran. He, like, skipped three steps, right? He wasn't real good on the steering parts. There's a lot of, you know, bruises and stuff. He ran. He was not satisfied with walking. You could not get that kid on the ground to crawl. No, didn't even need it. And I think sometimes growth is like that. We, we refuse to learn the lessons God teaches us. And it's like stopping up a dam and it's building and it's building and it's building and, we, and we're stubborn and we don't want to learn and, and we think about the trials that we're going through and we're shutting the door and going, no, I can't, I won't learn it. And then one day, the dam breaks loose. And it's like you learn everything in an hour. And, and it's, it's almost too painful to bear, but you can't look away. You know, you ever had that experience? 
It's beautiful. It's painful. It's too much to take. You can't get enough. And you realize that you have refused his opportunities to grow. Sometimes growth is like that. It's explosive. But the thing that we need to come back to over and over and over, and it's the reason we put it on the posters, it's that he is a good, good father. And he cares for us. And sometimes you refuse to learn how to crawl, even though you think that you're a wise, learned adult. You refuse to crawl. And then one day, the dam breaks loose. The thing we need to keep coming back to is that he's a good father who is patient with us. The father grows his children from infancy to maturity. And boy, am I glad he does. Boy, am I glad he does. He grows us with patience and kindness. But, there's always a but, right? There's always a but. In this process, in this maturing process, there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. You might learn things quickly, but there's no shortcuts. Make no mistake, spiritual growth is brutally painful. Sometimes we have to learn the same lesson over and over and over. God started teaching me when I was six years old, patience. You think I've learned it? Nope. He keeps teaching it over and over and over, and it hurts. Statement number two is this. Allowing trials to shape us is the only path to maturity. When we understand Jesus is the path to fulfillment, we are comforted. And when we share that truth with the world, we face trials. In fact, Jesus promises it. We face trials. In Jesus' words, he said it, not me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're blessed. You can even be happy because you know what's going on. You know what's happening. Along the journey, when you speak Jesus, you mature because of his example. And people take notice. Here's the thing. People take notice when you speak Jesus. When you tell people about Jesus, they take notice. Some turn and trust him, and those are the good times. <laughs> but some don't. They don't turn and trust. In fact, they turn and persecute. And those are the hard times. And that's just the nature of the world. A sinful, fallen, hurting world. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. He says, consider it joy when you face trials because it produces maturity. When your faith is tested, maturity. Growing in, in perseverance, maturity. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. Maybe you're right with me. Maybe in this morning you're sitting there feeling the pain of some sort of persecution that you're enduring because of Jesus. Maybe it's happening right now in your life. This is what I would say to you. Take courage. Jesus walks with you. He's got his arm around you. Maybe you've never felt that pain. Maybe you're sitting there in your seat and you're scared to death about what happens 
When your boss finds out that you love Jesus, <laughs> the opportunities start to dry up, right? All of a sudden, people treat you a little differently and not a differently good kind of way. You're afraid. You're afraid of what's going to happen when you said, or, or, or if you say, yeah, I know Jesus and I love him. You're afraid of that. I've been there. I am there. This is what I would tell you. Take heart. Because Jesus walks with you. And the beauty of all this, Jesus walks with us. And one day, he's going to walk with us in eternity. And that's when we'll be perfectly mature. Statement number three is, hope for the future gives us strength to endure the present. Just enough strength. Arguably just enough strength. Hope for the future gives us strength to endure the present. And I know what it feels like to have pain or fear overwhelm you in the moment. It's times like these that you don't make it through when you focus on the pain, right? When we focus on the present, we won't make it through. But we have to focus on the things that will come. This is true with any difficult thing, right? It's true. You have to put off immediate gratification for future gain. Just think about training for a race or, or a marathon. I've never run a full marathon. I, I do the half marathon. It's a little bit easier, right? I, I mean, I want to work, but not that hard, okay? You train your body for a race. If you focus on the pain you're feeling during training, you're not even going to make it to the race, let alone through the race. You have to focus on what's coming. This is how martyrs in the Colosseum could worship Jesus as they gave up their lives. And some would even sing hymns and spiritual songs with their dying breath. They weren't focused on the pain. They were focused on what's coming. And Jesus was walking with them into the Colosseum. What they had to accomplish or not accomplish in the Colosseum. He's standing with them. And as their life drains from their body, they see him, and he takes them into eternity. That's focusing on the future. That's focusing on what things are things to come. Paul wrote to Timothy, his protege, and even his spiritual son, he calls him. He wrote to Timothy, who was experiencing a pretty intense persecution. And he said this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, Timothy, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Oh, Timothy, it's going to get better. You're going to get mature. You're going to grow and your understanding and your depth of insight into who Jesus is. And as that process happens, Timothy, your shoulders are going to get wider because you're going to be able to see what's coming. And it hurts. And I can imagine Paul weeping over the pain that his young protege is feeling in a different place. It's going to get better, Timothy. You see, God gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to love and to be self-disciplined. And I think sometimes we ignore that spirit and we focus on the pain and we say it's too much. 
It's too much pain. But the Holy Spirit's standing there going, I, I can help you. I've given you a spirit of courage. What's Paul's goal? He, he talks a lot about goals, doesn't he? This is Paul's goal, and this is our goal. Grace Chapel's goal, our individual goal. The goal is to know Christ completely. To know him through his resurrection, and Paul talks about this, through his resurrection, and to know him through his sufferings. I love knowing Jesus through his resurrection. Oh, give me Easter every day of the week. I love it. It's victory. It's Jesus has won. He beat the grave. Yes, this is who I serve. This is my Messiah. And then the other side of that coin, oh, suffering. Why would Paul want to know Christ through his sufferings? It's to know Christ fully. Statement number four is this. Ultimate love is persecution because of Jesus. Ultimate love is persecution because of Jesus. Paul knew it. And if his readers were paying attention, they knew it. This was happiness to the prophets, to give their life for their Lord. This is why Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. When we suffer for Jesus, we know him more deeply. We're never going to know him completely until we know him in heaven. I guess you could say the ultimate love language is suffering. Some of you are going through premarital counseling with me. Write that down. When you suffer for your lady, she sees it. Bonus, okay? I mean, flowers are good, but when there's an opportunity, man, that was good. You guys should, you should write that down. The ultimate love language is suffering. I'm glad my wife's not here. <laughs> oh, no. Jesus says it this way. Jesus says his love language this way. And he says it to his disciples moments, maybe hours, before he walks to the cross. John 15, 12 through 13 records it this way. My command is this, Jesus says to his disciples. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for their friends. To sacrifice for someone is the ultimate way of saying, I love you. I would prefer the way we say I love you during Sunday morning worship. That's wonderful. It's fulfilling. It, it, it makes me feel good. But it's not the ultimate way. The ultimate way is sacrifice. Suffering or being persecuted for Jesus is one more step in our maturity. And this is why this beatitude is at the end. And did you notice that Jesus changed the, the perspective? He says, blessed are you. And then, and then he says, how does he put it? Let me go back to my passage. This just hit me. Blessed are you. And then... Blessed are those, I'm sorry, he says, blessed are those that are persecuted. It's like this general thing. Oh, yeah, everybody that's persecuted. Good job, everybody. And then he changes the focus. Blessed are you. You, disciples. You people that are about to trust in me. Blessed are you, Grace Chapel. That's powerful. 
And I think it's important to, to, to remember. Love each other the way Christ loved his disciples. And that's how they know. To sacrifice for someone is the ultimate way of saying I love you. Suffering or being persecuted for Jesus is not the ultimate goal. It's not the ultimate maturity. Don't hear me say that. It's one of the steps towards maturity. It's interesting that what we do as people, and, and it's kind of no wonder why we want maturity to be about information that we learn. Right? Have you noticed that? You're mature if you have like a theology degree. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> You're mature if you've stud, spent a lot of time studying the scripture. But I don't think that's the maturity that we're talking about. It's easy to learn information about Jesus. I mean, it's right here. It's a lot harder in history to learn about it, but it's right here. In fact, in fact, you could dial it up on your phone and, and a, a nice man with a thick British accent will read the Bible to you. It's great, yeah. Or Juan can do it too. <laughs> it's easy to learn about Jesus. The head knowledge of Jesus and the persecution for Jesus is like the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing through experience. There's a difference there, right? An experiential knowledge. And I would much rather the experience of Jesus in my life to propel me towards knowing about Jesus. And this is a lot of times what happens when people are, are converted. They experience Jesus and they go, man, I got to know more about this guy. And they go read about him. It's not the other way around. We don't learn about him and then suddenly experience him. It's usually experience that drives us towards him. And I think he does that on purpose. To know Jesus that well was what the Apostle Paul longed for, and I hope and pray we long for it as well. So I'm going to go over those four statements again. Just because it's the last sermon of the series, we just got to go over them, right? Statement number one, the good father grows his children from infancy to maturity. Statement number two, allowing trials to shape us is the only path to maturity. Statement number three, hope for the future gives us strength to endure the present. Think of the martyrs in the Colosseum. And number four, ultimate love is persecution because of Jesus. And you might say, well, why, is this, why are those four truths important? Why do we need to know those? Why do I have to sign off on them and agree with them? Here's why. If you don't understand those four truths, you'll assume trials are God's punishment for mistakes that you've made. Oh, man. I counsel a lot of people that think that. And it's a dark, scary place when you think God is mad at you. You'll assume God is not blessing you but cursing you. You'll assume that this is just life and God at, the, at best is some distant creature who doesn't really care. You know how many people in America think that? You'll fall into the same trap that many, many people feel. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about the world. I'm on my own. i got to figure this stuff out by myself. How lonely of a place. But this is what happens when you do agree or, 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 or believe in these four truths. You'll have hope for the future. And that hope, by the way, looks a lot like happiness. Just saying. 
Your trials will be a testament to God's peace and God's love for you. And, and people will see the things that you're going through and go, how in the world are you still vertical? And you can tell them. This knowledge and love will grow so intense in your heart that your family, friends, and coworkers, and anybody you rub shoulders with will see it. This love and knowledge will affect those around you. And here's the beauty. And if you've never seen this, I pray you do see it soon. Jesus impacts those you encounter through you. And if you have that bird's eye view, it's almost like an out-of-body experience where you're going, wait, I know Josh. And I know he did not come up with that on his own. What is going on? And it's Jesus moving through you. His intention is to love that person you're interacting with through you. It's a beautiful thing. So, as we leave, what are we going to do about this? How do, we, how do we put this into practice? Do we just go, well, that was nice, great, four truths, four truths got him, Josh, moving on. Here's the beauty about the Apostle Paul, and this is why knowing your scripture is so important. I hope you know by now I'm laser focused on a, on a certain couple verses in the New Testament. We started talking about it about halfway through the season. And, and if I sound like a broken record, good. I'm communicating clearly. I'm going to throw it back up on the screen again. Write it down. Take a picture. Memorize it. Do what it says. It's a really good application verse. Colossians 3, 13 through 14. I'm sorry, 12 through 14. It's, it goes like this. Therefore, God's chosen people, that's us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. By the way, someone is general, not just someone at Grace Chapel, right? That's like your boss, your coworkers, the guy that cut you off on the highway. You get the idea. Forgive someone that has a grievance uh, against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and loving one another. That's a pretty good working list. And if you work through that list, and if, and if your responses are becoming more and more compassionate and kind and humble and gentle, chances are you're maturing. God is teaching you. And I will bet you that you've had some pretty rough experiences in your life to teach you those things. Jesus said himself, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you've got a theology degree. No. If you love one another. That's how the world knows. That's like waving a banner of Jesus loves the world by how we treat each other. Take that passage. Practice it. Practice it with us. Practice, Please practice it with me, I beg of you. Practice it with each other. Practice it with that crazy uncle who only shows up at Easter and always a little Easter. <laughs> Thanksgiving, he doesn't show up at Easter. Practice it. And when people say, why are you this way? All you have to do is say, because Jesus walks with me. That's it. Let's pray. Jesus, you walk with us. You're close to us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes the emotions or, or the pain that we feel blocks that feeling, Lord, but we know you're there. And Lord, I ask that as, as we walk through seasons of life that are rich and good and wonderful, 
you're there and we feel your presence. But Lord, as we also walk through the dark night of the soul where there is nothing, that we would believe that you're there, that we would believe that you have your arm around us. Lord, I ask that we would put into practice this list of things that Paul has given us. Lord, I ask that that this church would be transformed from the inside out. That our passion and our love for each other would rock this city. That the capital district would know who you are because this little country church in the middle of nowhere deeply loves people. God, we're all on our own journey. We thank you for walking with us. We thank you for drawing us towards maturity, but God, I ask we do it as a church, that we would do it together, that through these actions, we can communicate the love that you have for the world. Lord, I ask that we would be bold, that we would be courageous and standing up and saying, yes, Jesus walks with me. I know him. And that as we feel persecution because of that, that we would be encouraged. And as we feel or see people turn to you, we would be encouraged. God, and I beg you to help us get off our lazy couches and do this. Because not only do we need to grow in maturity, there are people that desperately need to know that you love them. Thank you for this place, Lord, and thank you for this time. In your name, amen.